0: Do you ever daydream about what heaven will be like? I'm sure we all do sometimes, yeah? Even if you don't believe in an afterlife, it's just fun to think about what a perfect place would be like. And we all have our own versions of perfect, right? I've heard some people talk about a heaven with streets of gold, where everyone lives in a mansion. And the better you are in this life, The better your interior designer will be in heaven or there's the southern baptist version of heaven where we'll all sing hymns all day and eat wafers and drink grape juice then there's my wife's version which sounds nearly identical to disney world when we imagine heaven what we're really imagining is our idea of perfection right But that's the first problem with how we think about heaven. Whose version of perfect will it actually be? One person's idea of perfection is often another person's worst nightmare. I've heard pastors describe heaven as a place where we will worship God 24 7 like a never ending church service. But that sounds more like weeping and gnashing of teeth to me, not heaven. So whose version of perfect will heaven be? If I was designing heaven, all of the grocery stores would only carry bluebell ice cream and I would eat it for every meal and never gain weight or break out with acne. <laughs> that sounds like heaven to me, but I know it doesn't for everyone because apparently some people don't love bluebell ice cream, though I'm not sure they would be allowed into heaven. but that's my idea of perfection that would make me eternally happy or at least i think it would but two weeks into that it would probably get old like in the movie bruce almighty where jim carrey gets everything he wants and it's amazing for about two weeks (laughs) and then it's boring and then excruciating because everything going your way sounds nice, but it's not actually fulfilling, is it? In my version of heaven, I would be a rock star, and all of my songs would top the heavenly charts. It would be the best for two weeks, and around hit song number 27, I'd be over it. And God would stroll into my recording studio made of gold and ask how I was liking heaven. And I would humbly say, It's actually kind of boring. I don't like it being so predictable and easy. And he would lovingly reply, Well, I can change that. How many of your songs would you like to be hits? 80% of them? 50%? And then I would scream and wake up to realize it was actually a nightmare. (laughs) And that's the second problem with our ideas of heaven. We think of it as a time and place where everything imperfect melts away except for our imperfect desires. We think of it as a place where nothing earthly remains except for our earthly ideas of perfection. But maybe our desires and ideas of perfection need to die. Welcome to the Howdy Brandon Show, you guys. It's Christmas Eve today, the final Sunday of Advent, and I'm excited to be spending it with you and with this holiday cheer beer from Shiner, helping me get into the holiday spirit. But, guys, this Advent series has been so fun for me. We started off talking about the beginning of the cosmos and how we all came from the same thing. Then episode two, we talked about what is the nature of that thing that we all came from and how the early Christians called it love. And then in the last episode, we talked about how Jesus showed us that what will save us is stepping into that thing, stepping into love by laying down our identities. And now in this episode, we're gonna talk about how we can actually do that because that's the real key. How can we actually become People of love. Because while it may sound nice to set aside your identities of religion or gender or sexuality or race or wealth in order to fully love others, if you've ever tried this for more than 24 hours, you know it's not easy. But that's why this story, this person of Jesus that we're talking about, is so important, because he shows us how. And if you roll your eyes when you hear the name Jesus, know that I get it. I understand. And oftentimes, when I hear people talk about their version of Jesus, I roll my eyes too. Because even though we're using the same name, there's a thousand versions of Jesus, right? From televangelist Jesus to hippie hemp-smoking Jesus to white supremacist, homophobic, second amendment, anti-science Jesus. So we have to define who we're talking about when we use the name Jesus. And in the last episode, we looked at how the Jesus that we find in the gospels does not identify with any of these labels that we try to place on him, but instead calls us to lay down our identities, including our religions. In order to love one another and pursue unity with all creation. That Jesus that we find in the Bible did not tell his followers, Hey guys, let's start a new religion and name it after me. But came with an announcement with good news. And that good news was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, the kingdom of heaven is among us. This was his message, his gospel. And this was a radical message. First, because many people had imagined that heaven was going to be some other place, some other time in the future where God would make everything right. But not right here and now. That made this message pretty radical to begin with. But it was also radical because he was claiming that imperfect humans were a part of the kingdom of heaven. How could this be? How could broken, flawed humans... a part of God's perfect kingdom? Where is this kingdom? Who's a part of it? How can I be a part of it? Or is this dude talking crazy? These were the questions that this announcement stirred up. This announcement that the kingdom of heaven was already here didn't fit with their idea of what heaven would be like. Their idea of where they were heading was being challenged by this Jewish carpenter. And they had to decide if they would change their idea of heaven. If they would let Jesus redefine perfection. Here's why this is so radical and so revolutionary and world changing. Because we all live in between. In between the place we were at and the place where we're heading towards. In between what we once believed and what we will one day understand. In between one person that we were and another person that we're trying to become. We all live in between. We are not static beings and this is not a static world. To be alive means to be growing, dying, expanding, and contracting. We have a word for things that are not in motion. Things that are not changing. We call that death. Because life is movement. And whatever we are moving towards, whatever our definition of perfect is, will shape us into what we become. For example, I live, I exist, somewhere between the kind of husband I was when I married Ashley and the husband that I'm trying to be. My idea of a perfect husband is shaping me. It's pulling me towards it day by day. I also exist somewhere between how skilled I was a few months ago at making gluten-free pizza crust and how good I want to be one day. And my definition of the perfect pizza crust, whether it's Neapolitan or New York or Sicilian, will direct how my skills evolve, right? And by the way, the correct answer is Neapolitan crust. You exist somewhere between the husband, or wife, or parent, or friend that you used to be, and the one that you're aiming to become. And we all exist somewhere between the people we are in real life and our ideal selves that exist on our Instagrams, yeah? (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about here? We all live in between. Here's one last example. Our judicial system exists somewhere between our laws and justice. Nobody thinks that justice can ever be fully attained. Or maybe freshman students at law school on the first week of class do. But as soon as you begin to learn about the practice of law, you realize that justice is impossible. Laws are always unfair to someone at some time or situation. Justice is not a reality that can be attained, but it's an ideal that sets our direction and pulls us forward into better systems and laws. Justice is what we aim towards even when we know it can't be fully realized. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't create laws and amend them and try to make the world more fair and just. Because laws help us understand what justice is, what it's like. But at the end of the day, they can only point towards justice. They themselves are not justice. We exist between the law and justice. We exist between reality and our ideals. Our churches exist somewhere between the imperfect communities they are and the perfect communities they hope to be one day. Their conceptions of heaven. And it's not too hard to look at a person or a community and see what their definition of perfect is you can see it in how they act or hear it in how they talk or what they talk about you can see it in who they treat as good and bad who they listen to and who they ignore or condemn it's easy to see what they are aiming towards and trying to become because our ideals shape us we're all living in between what we were yesterday and what we want to be tomorrow so this begs the question what are you living in between what is your idea of perfection what is your ideal Having an ideal is a wonderful thing. Ideals orient us, giving us a direction to move towards. We all have ideals. The ideal for the ancient Hebrews was God. They believed that God was the one that created and sustained all things. And so the best way to live was to align yourself with God, the driving force of creation. God was the ideal and to know how to live according to god's ways they had the law a law which started with 10 fairly simple commandments like don't steal stuff or lie or murder people good stuff that told them what it meant to live in step with god but black and white laws can be tricky in a gray world right Like, one of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath day, a day of the week that the Jews didn't work as a reminder that God is ultimately the one who provides and takes care of them. So one of the laws was to keep that day of the week special, a wonderful ideal to always strive for. But what happens if you need firewood, but it's Saturday, the holy Sabbath day? Can you gather firewood? Is that considered work? Or should you shiver until Sunday when it's okay to work again? These kinds of questions came up all the time because black and white ideals, like don't work on the Sabbath, become gray in our complicated world. And just like our judicial system has to constantly add and subtract and amend laws in our pursuit of justice, the Hebrews began to add more laws in their pursuit of living up to God's standards, his ways. They went from 10 laws to over 600. Because what do you do with the guy who is caught gathering firewood on the Sabbath? You need a law for that. And the verdict came back. It's not okay. So they stoned that dude and added a new clarifying law. I know that sucks for that guy, but I'm sure the whole rest of the community was grateful for his sacrifice because they were all probably asking themselves that same question every Saturday, should I go gather firewood? And now they knew with brutal clarity, don't do it unless you feel like being stoned to death. They now had a clearer picture of what it meant to live up to their ideal of being God's people. And I know what you're thinking, or what I hope you're thinking. Really? Stoning? Is that really necessary? If the goal is to live in step with God's ways, isn't it going the wrong direction to kill someone? Maybe it shows how serious you are about your ideal, but does it actually help accomplish it? And that's the thing I want to talk about. What happens when our ideals become idols? What happens when the thing that we're striving for becomes the thing that we must have, that we must accomplish, must live up to? What happens when something that helps orient us, an ideal, becomes oppressive to us, an idol? An ideal is something that we aim for, that tells us which direction to move towards. An idol is anything that we think will satisfy us, make us whole and complete. And if we don't have it, it means we are not valuable, we are not complete, we are not acceptable. Do you see the difference? One is motivating and the other defeating. One is life-giving, the other is life-sucking. And we do this all the time with nearly everything. We take good ideals and turn them into idols because we think it might make us more lovable or acceptable. So that thing that might be a good thing gets turned into the thing that will make us accepted or loved. Like, if you have an ideal weight that you know will make you have more energy or live longer, then that ideal can motivate and spur you on to live in a certain way. But if your ideal weight turns into the weight that you believe will make you happy, or make you feel valuable, or make you more acceptable or lovable, if you think it will make you whole and complete, then it's not an ideal weight anymore. It's an idol. Marriage might be an ideal for you, sharing your life with another person and learning how to love and serve and stay committed to one person through thick and thin. A beautiful ideal. But marriage can also be an idol if you were to believe that you will be satisfied and fulfilled if you can just find the right person. Or if your partner would just change a little bit. Or if they would just squeeze the toothpaste from the correct end. (laughs) Earning money can be an ideal. Having a certain job can be an ideal. Or it can be an idol if you think it will make you feel complete. Do you see how an ideal is a healthy and life-giving thing, but if it becomes an idol, it is heavy and life-sucking. That thing is still the same thing, marriage or money or a job or respect or whatever. It's still the same thing, but it goes from saying to you, hey, come this way. There's even more life to be had over here to you are not enough without me. You need me to be complete. You will never be fully accepted and loved without me. An ideal orients you An idol is oppressive to you. And us humans, we are idol factories. We take things and then turn them into idols all the time. And when we do this, it separates us from ourselves and from others. I say ourselves because believing that we are not already enough, that we aren't already acceptable, makes it impossible to be able to love and accept ourselves. And I say it separates us from others because when we find our identity in something, something that we believe makes us valuable and lovable, then we have to look down on those who don't share that identity. I have to look down on those who invalidate what I believe gives me value. In the last episode, we talked about how Jesus challenges us to shift our ideal away from converting others to our identities, and towards uniting all in a common identity of love. This is radical, and it's beautiful, but this is also impossible. Humans are idol factories, and it starts young. You've seen this if you've ever been around a two-year-old, Who has their favorite toy taken away from them. And then you watch them completely break down. Because that toy has become more than a toy to them. It's become magical in their eyes. The thing that they feel in that moment will make them complete. As rational, mature adults, we can smile at the toddler throwing a tantrum. Because we know that they will get over it. The toy is not actually magical, and it won't actually fulfill them. But we do the same thing, don't we? Just in a more adult version. We treat things that are ordinary things, like money or status or another person, like magical things that will somehow make us more lovable, more acceptable, more whole. And we are slaves to this condition of idol-making, because at the core of our being, we don't believe that we are already fully loved and accepted. I say slaves because we can't stop this pursuit of idols, even if we wanted to, even if we know it's in our best interest. Have you ever seen someone who thinks that more money will make them fulfilled. So they spend their time constantly trying to get more, even if it's ruining their relationships or their health. They can't stop, even though they know it's in their best interest to. Because as humans, we need to feel loved and accepted. So we will continue to be slaves to chasing after idols until we finally grasp something that makes us feel completely loved and accepted. Or, maybe there is another way out of this tormenting cycle that we find ourselves in. Maybe one day we will finally grasp something that will make us feel loved and accepted. Or, maybe we will find we are already fully loved and fully accepted. That is what we find in a manger 2,000 years ago. We find a baby who is called Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And this God-human has come to change our idea of perfection, of heaven, of where we we are heading. He announces that the kingdom of heaven is here, and it is made up of people choosing to lay down their idols and identities so that they can love. He says you have many commandments and laws, but the kingdom of heaven is only about one law, and that is to love one another. But God knows that that a new ideal in the hands of humans will inevitably turn into an idol. We will turn it into an identity that separates us instead of unites us. We will treat it like another thing we think will complete us and will make us loved and accepted. Unless we learn that we are already loved and accepted. And that's what God shows us through this person of Jesus. That all are fully loved, fully accepted. Even those who don't follow the right religion or believe the correct things or who don't live according to the law or who are outcasts of society. Even they are completely loved by the maker and sustainer of the universe we call this truth grace and it's grace that frees us from our endless exhausting pursuit of trying to feel loved and accepted because it's grace that says you are already loved already fully accepted When we hear the voice that says we need to be more, or do more, or have more in order to be worthy of love, we also hear the voice of Jesus, the voice of grace, telling us that there's a different truth we can put our faith in. That even though we may not be deserving of it, we are already swimming in love and acceptance. The force that is holding us together is for us. It is with us. It accepts us and loves us. This baby wasn't born to die because God was unable to accept us, but came to show us grace that we are already accepted. He didn't come to create a way for God to be able to forgive us, but to show us grace that we are already fully loved So now we can forgive ourselves and each other of the things that separate us. It's grace that transforms people. People who were once slaves to trying to become acceptable can now put their faith in the truth that they are already accepted. Now they can stop running after things they hope will fill themselves up and can turn towards the world and pour themselves out because they are overflowing with love. That's the power of grace. That can change a person. That can change a whole society. That can change the world. But only if we ask ourselves, will I continue to chase after things that I hope will make me feel more whole and complete Will I continue to put my faith in my own ability to become valuable? Or can I trust Jesus, who says that I am already fully loved and accepted by the maker and sustainer of the whole universe? Can I accept that I'm accepted by His amazing grace? Music for this episode was done by Chad Hasso and myself, Uh, and yeah, this was just a ton of fun to do this Advent series and uh, to hear from you guys, the emails and messages, uh, the coffee dates where we got to talk about what this stirred up in you and me as well. Uh, So I can't wait to see where this goes in the future, and uh, yeah, let me know what you're hoping for or uh, what you think would be interesting or fun to talk about. But uh, I thought this Advent series would be a good place to kick off the conversation because uh, I don't know what your relationship with Christmas is or with the Jesus story. Uh, Maybe you love it. Maybe it makes you roll your eyes. Uh, Maybe you grew up with a version that you used to like, but now you're not so sure. And uh, that's all great. And I hope you continue to wrestle with your faith. And I hope this, uh, this Advent season has been a good season of wrestling for you. Because uh, Advent is the time of year where we reflect on the tension between how things are and how they could be. We remember the first time Christ came into the world 2,000 years ago and showed us grace and fully embodied love. And we look forward to when Christ will come again as we put our faith in the grace that was shown to us, and together become a growing body of love, the body of Christ. Grace and love to all of you guys, and I will see you in 2018.